episode 166 of the Bevan James Iowa Show, an interview with Scott Stein. Alrighty, team. Welcome along to episode 166 of the Bevan James I'll show you a fortnight podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of exercise so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Um, today I've got a pretty cool interview actually, I've got a man by the name of Scott Stein who is a bit of a leadership trainer, so he's got a book called Leadership Hacks Out recently and he's written some other books over the times, but he's spent a lot of his career in developing leaders and so I just, you know, I find leadership such an interesting discussion because... There are some people who seem to naturally be leaders and seem to step up to that role and then there's a lot of people who either don't want to be leaders or get put in a leadership role and don't really know how to navigate that wisely. Uh, and so I thought I'd get Scott on because I actually read his book recently and I thought, oh, he's got some pretty cool points in there. So I thought I'd get him on the show just to kind of give some ideas about being a leader. Because I think ultimately in life, all of us have opportunities to be leaders. And even if our role in life isn't that obvious, like sure there are some positions in the world if you're a boss at work or if you're in a business or if you coach a rugby team or if you're a captain of a sports team these are obvious leadership roles but we all have the opportunity to help lead others to a better path in life and so just anything that we can learn around this topic can have a lot of value to our world so I'm going to Scott on pretty soon I'm actually going to keep it pretty short in my introduction today because I'm actually at the gym it might sound a bit echoey today because I'm in a random office at the gym I've got a big day today I'm doing a talk at the airport uh, about health for the airport staff so I've got that happening today so I'm kind of I'm getting this done in the interim so yeah so there's going to be no kind of me waffling on about random crap before, before we get into the main gist of today's show but before we do get into the main gist I want to say a big thank you to some of the patrons of the show if you want to become a patron of the Bevan James Isles show just go to bevanjamesisles.com click on the link where it says patreon uh, or go to the podcast section and you can just donate a little bit of your money to help support me what I do in this show doing what I do in this show and some of these people are already amazing patrons and we've got Roel um, Branco the street fighter we've got Josh complete grit Alice we've got Sabrina the number one pick we've got Ruth on fire new stub and we've got George Monopoly Man Street these people also support me and what I do in this podcast and so if you want to become a supporter of the show again go to bevanjamesisles.com I'm trying to create a show that helps you kind of deeply look at fitness and growth so I'm pretty excited about what we bring to you guys and if you appreciate what I do becoming a patron is a great way to support me anyway I'm going to get pretty much into the main part of today's show so here it is here's my interview with Scott Stein Right, team, I'm very happy to have on the show a man by the name of Scott Scottstein.com. He's a man who works a lot about leadership and um, bringing out the best in people and stuff like that. He's got a great book called The Leadership Hacks, among other books that, and, and keynote speaking work that he does. So I thought I'd get him on the show to talk about leadership because it's an area that a lot of people want to be good at but maybe aren't that good at. So, Scott, welcome along to the show. Yeah, great to be here, Bevan. Yeah, so, so maybe let's start with that. You know, like I, I, when I was younger, I used to do endurance sport. And, um, and I was always pretty well known as a mentally tough athlete. And one of the things I often got said was, are you just born with mental toughness or is it something you develop? Uh, and I imagine leadership is the same kind of question you get. People would say to you, are you just a born leader or is it something that you develop? So tell me about your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, well, and that's the age-old question, right? Is, mm. is it innate, is it genetic, or is it something that people can learn? Mm. And, and again, if you look at the research, the research shows that people can learn to be leaders. Um, for some people, I think it's easier for them to step up, you know, and look for the opportunities, where I think other people, um, they're kind of thrust in an opportunity where they need to lead. Mm. And they might not have been ready for it, but the situation that they were in gave them the opportunity and they had to step forward. And I've worked with leaders on both ends, of, both ends of those spectrums. You know, some of them that you can tell are natural and it's easy, and other ones that they were in a situation they had to step up, they had no choice. And so, and so, and so like, let, 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 let's look at both examples. Let's start with the person who's maybe listened to this who maybe has ambition to be a leader or has been put in a position where they have to kind of step up. What's kind of the pathway for their development? Because, you know, if, if I've always been like maybe the rugby captain and stuff, I may have been developed into being a leader. But for those people who have never saw themselves in that position and suddenly I, I imagine it's pretty daunting. Yeah, I think it can be. I think for a lot of people that are in that, that position, it's about thinking about what type of leader they want to be and what leaders do they admire. You know, and it's, it's, it, there's a phrase called translocation where you kind of locate yourself as if you were in their shoes mm. and think of the great bosses or the great leaders that you might have had that really motivated you. And it's really taking a look at, all right, if I'm going to step up, if I was in their shoes, what would they have done? And that quite often can give a really good identification of what's the pathway or direction I need to go in. Now, you still have to put your own personality into it, of course. But I think for a lot of people that aren't really in that leadership role all the time, that's a really good place to start. Mm. And when you're looking at those leaders, what kind of, so let's say I've been put in a role um, and I'm a bit daunted, but I think back on the leaders who I've in the past, what kind of things am I looking for? Is it, is it their, their methods or is it their, where they start from or kind of what, what should yeah. I be looking for? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is about their approach and their impact. In fact, in the book, I talk about three things. It's their mindset, right? Is their mind wanting to be a great leader that gets people kind of fired up and connects with my people? Mm. Or do I see people as just a commodity, right? So I can churn them and burn them. So that's yeah. one thing. Um, the other is, is about their approach. So the approach is about how do I do things, right? And am I aware of the approach I'm going to take? Am I conscious to it or am I on mental autopilot? And the third area, of course, is the impact. You know, the biggest challenge that I see with most leaders today is they don't know how to delegate. You know, they don't. They go, all right, I'm, I'm stepping up. I know I shouldn't do everything. So I ask somebody to do something and they just don't do it the way I wanted them to or in the time frame I wanted them to. Mm. So what do I do? I stop delegating and I just do it myself. Mm. You know, and, and part of that is learning, all right, what approach can you use so you can start leading? What are the conscious steps you can take that are practical that'll give you the impact you want. Mm. So, so, so again, they were, what were the, those three again? It was... So one is mindset. Mindset. So that's, that's right. the, 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 the thinking at? behind the kind of driving your thinking. Correct. Uh, the second one is about your approach, which is what do you do? What mm. activity do you take? What actions do you take? How do you communicate with your people to mobilize them to get things done? Mm. And then, and then, uh, and then the third is piece how? is the impact. The impact is, did it work or not? Okay. After I've said that, did they take the action I wanted them to take or didn't they? And, and, you bring right? up a, and if they didn't, what is it? Is it them or is it me? And quite often, it's me as the leader. I didn't communicate it the right way. Okay. Because it, it's, it's that thing that you just said there is that a lot of people in leadership roles never end up doing passing things on. And it's partly because yes. they don't think people are going to be effective. And I imagine it's also because they have that thing of nobody does it as good as me. Yeah, well, and this, I did a lot of research in front, one of the chapters in the book 
is all on delegation and delegation hats. Because what I found, it was the number one skill that most leaders don't know how to do, right? And sometimes they get lucky, sometimes they don't. In fact, Harvard Business Review did a, a research a couple years ago, and what the article talked about over 50% of companies said we're concerned about our leaders or managers' ability to delegate, right? So it's, so it's a common issue. And, and what I've found, and I've studied lots of different leaders, and some of them do it really well. Um, and in the book, I talk about a delegation model. And the way to think of it, there's four levels to delegation, right? So the highest level is the biggest mistake that most leaders make, which is, I'm just going to delegate. So, Bevan, this is what I want you to do. Just go ahead and do it. Okay, yeah. Right? And yeah, my job <laughs> here is done. Leadership stuff's pretty good, right? Because you nodded at the right time and you said, okay. Right, and then what happens is you may not do it the way I wanted or in the time frame I wanted. What I found is leaders will give people two goes. I delegate once, you didn't do it well, I'll try it again, and after two attempts, I will stop delegating to you, right? Because I can't trust you. Hmm. And what happens is leaders make the mistake of going from level four, which is completely delegating everything, all the way down to what I call level one. And level one is don't do anything because I'm gonna do it myself. And this is an unconscious pattern. And it's a dangerous place to be. And there's really three reasons why they do that. Um, the first reason is I just don't trust my people. I just don't trust them. Yeah. You know, and I can't, I don't, you know, my reputation's on the line. That's, that's one of them. The other one is the myth that I could, you know, if I would have just done it myself, it would have been so much easier and so much faster. Yeah. And the reason why I call it a myth is if it's a one-off activity that you might do once every five years, yeah, then it might make sense for you to do it. However, if it's an activity that you do regularly that one of your staff should be doing, well, yeah, you did it yourself quicker that once, but if they would have been doing it ongoing, it would have saved you a lot more time in the long run. Mm -hmm. And the third reason is most leaders just don't know how to delegate, okay. right? They, they, they just don't know how, give me a process. Mm -hmm. And that's what level two is about, right? So we got level four where you delegate everything, level one where you don't delegate anything, you just keep it on your own plate. Level two, level two is we sit down and we map it together. And rather than me telling you what I want to do, I start with what I call an ask, right? So it might be, oh, Bevan, here's this task. I know you've got some ideas how to do it. I've got some ideas. Can we map it, right? Let's take a sheet of paper or an iPad. Or if we're, you know, talking remotely, we can actually create a whiteboard that's actually on a conference platform. And let's identify what the task is and what do you think the actions are that you might need to take to complete this task. Mm -hmm. So I start with an ask, and you'll share, and I'll map it out, I'll capture what it is, so we visually both see what are the activities that need to be taken to accomplish this task. Mm -hmm. um, the other beautiful thing about this, if you mapped it out on paper, is you can then ask them, all right, there's, let's say there's six things that need to happen. You can say, well, what do you think you need to do first? And then second, then third, and what you can do is you can sequence so they know exactly what order to go in. So, so I imagine the great thing about that delegation process as well is if someone is lacking a bit of knowledge in some part of it, you can mentor them as well. So you can see where their gaps are and you can kind of show them how to progress as well. Yeah, correct. And that's what level two does. Level two, again, you map it on a sheet of paper. You put the, this is the task and then you actually identify the activities. And you ask them, what do you think you should do first or second or third? You can coach them on that sequence um, and then you can let them take action. And the other thing you can put in is check-ins. So let's check in along the way. You know, there might be six steps to take. Um, once you get done with the second step, let's have a check-in. You can show me what you've come up with, and I'll make sure that I, you know, I've got you on track and there's no other questions that you have. 
And when people start going to level two, the dynamic starts changing because you start coaching and mentoring your staff in some of the expertise and the skills that you have. I, I imagine that, that, you know, like when we think about what you lose by not delegating, which is time, um, you know, being able to focus on the more important problems and stuff like that. But you, always, but you also lose this ability to actually have an impact on somebody else's life, don't you? Correct, correct. And you, you limit what your impact is. Yeah. You know, and, and what I find is when people go from level two, level three is just a tweak on level two. So level three is once I've got you to level two and we've mapped it, we now problem solve using this visual process. Level three is, hey, I want you to map it on one sheet of paper. Okay. Right? The sequence, the steps, the time frame. Show me because there might have been an email or some information I forgot to share you. Uh, you know, and then you go ahead and action it, and we'll still have check-ins along the way. Mm. And when you get people from level three to level two to level three, the whole dynamic changes. Yeah. Leaders have more time to focus on the important things and start working on the business rather than in the business. Well, and, and that's that thing is we all want to feel we're contributing, don't we? And so I imagine if you're the employee working under somebody who just does all the work, you don't actually feel valued. You probably get a bit stale. You know, you, you, you know, it's not a very nice place to work, is it? Correct, correct. And that's what I hear. Like I'll hear, especially if you think about the different generations. You know, you got the, the Gen Xs and the boomers, lots of them in management roles. You got the millennials coming in. And one of the big dynamics I find, you might have a boomer that's got a millennial and, you know, the boomer can't move fast enough. Um, you know, they take too much time. They keep it in their head where the millennials going, I'm ready. Give me more. Yeah. Let me step up. You know, and the, the senior managers going, well, you don't know anything. Well, part of the reason why they don't know anything or they don't know the things you want is they haven't taken the time to delegate, to map and take the things out of their head and start coaching those people. Mm -hmm. One of the problems a lot of people have around leadership is confrontation. Uh, a lot of people mm. really struggle with, because we all tend to want to be liked. We don't want to make people feel bad. We don't want to reject people. This is kind of... Um, inner stuff that we have to overcome to be able to tell the hard thing. Um, and so for a lot of people in leadership roles, they often don't do the hard conversation just because they're so afraid of hurting somebody, which is ultimately hurting the position in, in that they're in. So what would be some of your advice around dealing with the hard conversations that need to happen as a leader? Yeah, yeah I think that's a big one. And, and really, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. There's kind of three reasons why they don't give the feedback. One is I don't want you to not like me as a manager, so I'm just going to turn a blind eye, mm. right? The second one, for some people, they go, well, I've told them 100 times before, they're not going to change, right? And I think that stops people as well. And, and I think the third one is some people actually just don't know how to communicate it. They don't know, all right, how do I start? How do I have the process? It's going to be uncomfortable. Maybe it will just sort itself out or I'll let the team fix it, right? Which actually usually ends up in disaster. Because yeah, it's just um, denial, so, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. So really, it, it's really about being really clear on what is the issue and why is it happening, right? Getting clear on that before they even have the conversation. Um, and then taking a look at, well, what did I as the leader do to train this person up in this skill set? And the skill set may be a technical skill set, or it might be a relationship or behavioral communication skill set. You know, I'm going, well, what have I done to skill them up on that and clarify my expectations? around their capabilities because quite often they haven't done that okay. they just hired somebody they've had them for a while they've given them a job description and they think that really bad 1990s job description is going to let people know what they expect you know which usually doesn't happen mm. so the process that they should do and i talk a little bit about this in the book as well is actually taking the time and not just telling them you've got to you're screwing up fix it but starting with an ask and quite often it's going i just noticed you had an interaction with one of the other staff members 
and I noticed they reacted this way. Just want to ask a question, if I could. Was your intent to make them defensive? And again, it's just asking a question, mm. not accusing. But quite often, you start just to get people to think. See, I think most people want to do a good job at work, but I think what happens is they get on mental autopilot. They just go through the motions, and they say something or do something or they shortcut, and they're not even consciously aware they did it. Mm. And quite often, when you point it out, the way you point it out will actually make them open to it or make them defensive to it. Mm. Mm. And I mean, I'll give you an oh, you got, you got. Yeah, give you an example. A number of years ago, we had to drop the car off for a service. And my wife was following me in her car. I remember, you know, driving. It was only about 5K down the road, driving, dropping my car off, and I jumped in her car. And we're driving back home, and she turned to me, and she said, when did you stop using your indicators, your turn signal indicators? And I said, what are you talking about? I always indicate. And she said, she shook her head at me. I remember this. She said, no, you didn't. You went around two left-hand turns, and you didn't indicate either time, right? And, of course, because of the way she said it, I said, yeah, I did. In fact, I learned to drive when I was 13. I bought my first car at 15. Who do you think's a better driver? Right, and, of course, at that, she, she, she dropped it. And I thought, yes, I won. I won. Um, later on in the day, I had her car. I had to go to the shops to pick something up, went around a left-hand turn, and after the turn, the voice in the back of the head said, you didn't indicate. Wow. Right? Now, if you ever talk to my wife, you're sworn to secrecy. But, but the point is, quite often, if somebody tells us in a defensive way that we're not doing things well, we become defensive and we push back yeah, yeah. rather than being a little bit more open-minded. So really, the approach that the leader starts with to start that conversation is absolutely critical. Yeah. And so in many ways, what you're also saying is that you need to make sure you, particularly if you're new to this, is to do some prep. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And that's the thing. I think people do knee-jerk reactions when it comes to leadership. Mm. They just knee-jerk reaction. It'll be fine. I'll just have a conversation with them. And then the conversation doesn't go well. The person gets defensive. They have 101 excuses. And then the leader just gives up because they're going, oh, I didn't think about all that. Right? And suddenly now they just affected the pattern of interaction with that person. Because yeah. now that employee is thinking, wow, you really didn't have a clue of what was going on. You just accused me of something. Yeah, and also I remember, a good example from my life. I remember one time I had to do some, give someone some some hard feedback, um, and I was so afraid of doing it, but I was just consumed about that moment. I, I didn't do any prep. I just kind of, and I just kept delaying it, which kind of does that bubble thing where it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then eventually, I was just talking to him one day, and it just came out of nowhere, and and it was like a, you know, like I I actually hurt them in many ways because I kind of didn't prep. I didn't really think of their needs. I was so afraid of doing it that I just let it build, 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 and then it just all came out in a way that was actually pretty terrible. Yeah, yeah. And there's a little technique I talk about in the book. It's called role mapping, where you talk to a person and you clarify what are the different areas of their role, the skills and the responsibilities. Yeah. And in fact, I just talked to a manager in a dealership, a car dealership recently, that just used this technique with one of their technicians that they were having some issues with. Um, and essentially what he did is he started with a sheet of paper and he mapped out all right, here's your role. Here's your main areas of responsibility. I just want to have a check-in, and I want to see, you know, we have different skill levels and different capabilities. On this area here, on a scale of 1 out of 10, 10 out of 10 being you're absolutely amazing at it consistently every day, and you could teach everybody here in the dealership how to do it, or 1 out of 10, you've never done it before, how would you score yourself? Mm. And it's a really good thing to do. So we got them to score it on a scale of 1 out of 10, which is really easy. 
But what he had done before this is he had scored him separately. Oh, okay. Right? So this particular area that he had to give him feedback on was actually on a particular job, right? A t particular task. And the person scored themselves as a 9 out of 10. Oh, wow. Manager had scored them as a 3 out of 10. Okay. Right? So yeah. what he did, and it was brilliant, what he did, he used the sheet of paper. He said, well, we've got a gap because you said you're a 10 out of 10. I, I got to be honest, I'm only seeing a 3 out of 10. But let me tell you why. And what he did is he wrote down one, two, three. These three activities I don't see you doing consistently every day. And if I did see you do them consistently every day, I'd agree it'd be a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Right? And, and, and what he put on it is maybe I just haven't seen it. So how about this? Over the next week, I'm going to make a con concerted effort just to monitor and see when you are doing those things. Mm. Right? Because maybe you are higher. Maybe I was a little bit off on my 3 out of 10. So let's actually, let's actually make this an experiment for a week. Funny that. What do you think happened? He always got because his, well, because his staff was consciously aware of it and he knew his manager was going to be following up, he went to a 9 out of 10. He started doing all three of those things that he talked about. But the reason why, it was the approach that he took with it. He mapped it on paper. He didn't accuse him. He said, I see a gap, but maybe I'm wrong. Let's actually focus on this for the next week and let's see where we're actually at. And I imagine it's also really important to have good follow-up as a leader, you know, like, because we can have the hard conversation, but, you know, you, you know, it's no good if you just kind of say, do this and then kind of or support people towards finding growth and then kind of just leave them in the lurch after the fact. Yeah, yeah. And that's a big drama. Like, I was talking to somebody else um, here in Sydney um, last week, and they were whinging about performance reviews, the annual performance review. Mm. And I'm going, well, you should be doing these check-ins once a week or once every fortnight. If you're waiting to do the performance review check-in once a year, there's something very wrong, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think one of, the, one of the reasons why is they don't know how to hold themselves as leaders accountable to go back to my staff member over time. And there's some great strategies you can use. Like if you map that on a sheet of paper, right? Give that sheet of paper to the staff member, but use your phone and take a photo of it. Tag it in your phone link it to Evernote or any one of the app programs and put a little reminder in your calendar around that particular image with that person, mm. which is follow up with John on this particular issue and here's the image, mm. right? So there's lots of little strategies that we could use with technology, but I think quite often we forget about what am I gonna do to hold myself accountable to follow up with that staff member and kind of coach them. What are some of the other biggest faults you see with people in leadership? Yeah, I think probably one of the biggest ones right now is they just don't have enough time, right? Every, in fact, that's the reason why I wrote the book. You know, every leader I talked to, they said, you know, uh, I just don't have enough time to get through everything on my plate. And I don't have enough time to get my people mobilized to do the things I need them to do. And I think that's a, that's a really big issue. Um, and part of it, what I look at it, if you look at some of the research, you know, email, you know, email, social media, notifications, things that get you to go, oh, I can't talk because I got to check my email. Oh, yeah. sorry, I can't talk. I got to check my email. Or you have conversations and the manager's doing this the whole time. Yeah, mm -hmm. keep going. I'm listening, right? And what I've found is technology is a tool, but for a lot of leaders, they're not managing the technology. The technology is actually taking over, Okay. right? So it could be um, hacking how you do your email. Um, there's an interesting guy named Kevin Cruz. He's a New York Times bestseller. I talk about him in the book, and he looked at the habits of successful uh, kind of 
um, Olympic athletes, billionaires, and things like that. And he advocates what's called the 321-0 approach, which is kind of radical if you think about it. So what he says is, don't get caught up into checking your email every five minutes. That takes you off the things that you should be doing. Yeah. So he advocates you only check your email once every three days. Or sorry, once every three times a day. Yeah. Once in the morning, once in the middle of the day, and once in the afternoon. Okay. And when you check it, you set a timer on your phone for 21 minutes. And your task is to clear your inbox to zero within 21 minutes. Okay, so you're gonna be pretty ruthless. Gotta be ruthless. Yeah. So I even talk about in the in the book. I, I interviewed a leader who's senior overseas Asia Pacific in one of the one of the big banks, and she's one of the most organized people I've ever met. You know, she's amazing yeah. given the you know, hundreds of thousands of staff that she oversees, and from an HR perspective. And I said, "How do you do it?" And she shared with me what she does on email, and she found a way to hack her email. So she will check her email. Now she doesn't do it three times a day, right? She does it more often. But what she does, the first thing she does is she visually scans. Doesn't click on anything. That's her first step. Second step, she deletes. Anything not relevant, anything not important, she just kills it. Her third step is then she sorts. And she sorts by priority of what are the things I need to respond to based on the highest priority. And then her fourth step is she responds. Mm-hmm. Right. And what I find is most leaders don't take this approach. They get their inbox and what do they do? They read from the top to the bottom and they click through all the emails, which means they get distracted reading things that they shouldn't be reading, mm-hmm. which means they don't have the time that they should. One thing I imagine, and, and, and time, you talk about time, and, and time is partly that thing of um, making sure that we're doing the best, the, you know, we're, we're solving the biggest problem, that's the most important thing to our business right now. But I imagine one thing leaders struggle with is leaving work at work um, because, you know, leadership's a pretty big role. You're often in pretty important positions that have a lot of demands on your time and your energy and so on. Uh, but then also these people often have lives outside of work and I imagine often their work is a detriment to their life. So maybe just what are some things that you talk to with leaders around this stuff because we don't want to be that person who wakes up with an amazing career but actually nothing else behind that, you know, the, yeah. you know and, and in, many, in many ways, because that's that workaholic thing, isn't it? I keep working because I don't want to confront right. the heart thing in my life. Um, yeah. So just on this, because I imagine it's a problem a lot of people in leadership roles really have. Yeah, and I think that's a big one. Um, if you look at the executive burnout and the leadership burnout, it's massive. Is it? Um, and if you think about it, we've got this kind of saying you need work-life balance, you know, which implies it should be 50-50, which is wrong. Yeah. Um, what I find, there's kind of two different approaches um, from the leaders I've worked with. Um, one end are very structured. So they will allocate all of the time. They will be that, and they will have work time, and then they will have home or family time, and they can completely turn off, yep. right? But there's not very many managers or leaders that can operate that way. What I've found is most leaders nowadays, they will carry work over outside of the normal working hours um, because the task and the responsibility doesn't stop. We're in a 24 hours a day, seven days a week uh, you know, world. Yeah. You know, business is going to happen the same way. But what I've found is some of them do a really good job of what I call quarantining their time. So what that means is when they're home and they're with their family, their kids, they do shut everything off, right? They're present with the people that are important to them. They're not constantly checking their phone. Mm. And I think that's the drama. People will be with the family, but they'll just keep checking the phone all the time, every five to 10 minutes. It's like they're unconsciously, they got this habit, 
right? This addiction mm. to the technology. Mm. And what I find is the ones that turn it off have the family time, spend the three hours with the kids, and then they might check it later on when the kids are in bed. They are much more productive and they actually are happier at work as well as at home. Yeah, it's funny you say that, isn't it? Yeah, it's the thing of um, by actually looking after that stuff, you actually are better for your business. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because I find when they don't get time for themselves, um, they start burning themselves out. Yeah. You know, I'm a big advocate as well as if you know you have a big week, and I've got some CEOs and managing directors I work with, and they know they're going to have a big week. I'm going, schedule in time to go for the gym, go to the gym, schedule in time to get a massage, schedule time to go to a movie, watch some TEDx videos, schedule the time as if it was an appointment with another person and you can't break it. Mm. It's almost like if you're a CEO, you're actually canceling the appointment with the, the chairman of the board, right? Because if you don't maintain your energy, you're gonna burn out, which means you think slower, you act more clumsily, and the impact you have on the people around you is like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because one minute you're nice to them, the next minute you're ripping their head off because you're tired and exhausted and you're not thinking straight. Well, one thing you talked about in your book, and this kind of flows on from that, is this idea of um, it's really important to understand how people will perceive us. And I, you talk in your book about the example how you you were at a meeting and a and a, uh, uh, one of the uh, the manager or the owner or whatever it was, he basically kind of blew up in front of everyone and said, "See, I'm a good communicator." <laughs> and you were Correct. there like, "Well, back it up, back it up." Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and, and it is important, I suppose, to create that understanding of what you actually lead like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think uh, people people think the more senior a leader is, the more they know. Mm. And what I found, it's the opposite. The really great leaders, some of the CEOs, MDs, COOs I've worked with, you know, I, I remember one really high profile. Uh, they were in the news, you know, and I worked with them about six months after all of this. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, it was terrible. There was blood on the streets. They were in the financial reviews and everything else all the time. And they came out of it quite strongly. And I remember talking with them going, what was your strategy when you're in the midst of all this chaos and this crisis? He said, to be honest, we didn't have one. Okay. Right. He said, he said, as a leader, we had never been in the situation as a leadership team. We did contingency planning. We had you know, the, the, the action we thought we were going to take, and we'd have four or five backup plans because we didn't know which way it was going to go. He said, you know, so, you know, as a leader, I don't have all the answers. You know, and I think that's the important thing that people need to be aware of. A lot of people, and this goes back to your first question at the beginning, when somebody's thrust into the role of leadership, you know, um, most leaders don't know exactly what they're going to do until they're in the situation. Yeah. You know, and then they're doing the best they can. Yeah, yeah. What do you admire most in a leader? Um, I think two things. One is somebody that has strong integrity, right? So if they say they're going to do something, they back it up, yeah. and you know that they're honest and trustworthy with you. So to me, that's massive. Yeah. Uh, I see trust like an egg. It's quite fragile, and when you break it, good luck repairing it, mm -hmm. right? Because that other person will always have a question of doubt. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is their ability to mobilize people, right? Because there's, there's lots of what I call rah-rah leaders, you know, and you see this, I do a lot of speaking at conferences and things like that, and there'll be what I call a rah-rah keynote speaker, and they get up and they're motivational and people get excited. And then afterwards I go, well, what were the two biggest things that they talked about and what are you gonna take action on? Mm. And they go, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> right? And I'm going, well, that's great, but it's not. 
the leaders that know how to mobilize their people, they engage with them and they mobilize them to take action are the ones that I, I truly re- admire. It's funny you say that. I, I was just speaking to someone today and they, they just in conversation, they shared two great examples. They, they, they were in event management and they planned the world games, the world masters games, you know, the masters games. Yeah. Um, and she just said that the person who was the coordinator, I can't remember the person's name, was just the most phenomenal leader. And everyone just gave their heart and soul because of how she backed everyone, how she supported everybody. And just, you know, just, she just felt so stimulated by the experience. And then in the same conversation, this lady plays music and uh, she was doing a, a course right now. And she just said the teacher's just so terrible and everyone leaves feeling unmotivated. And, and, you know, it was just this real example of how the impact you can have. And this person in one situation is totally motivated and in another situation yeah. and, and is choosing to be in the other situation. It's not a job, it's a hobby, but is demotivated just because of a leader. Correct. And, and that's massive. And I see it all the time. I remember I did an evening session for this business. So it was evening, you know, it was after work, staff had to stay back later. It was a three hour session at their business and everything else. And so I was walking out at the end with the owner of the business and there was probably about 10 staff because I fed them as well afterwards. And there, there was like 150 staff there, but there was kind of like 10 or 15. And as we walked out in their car park, there was some rubbish right yeah. and it was interesting because this was a great i'm gonna go what's gonna happen here yeah and the the owner of the business didn't say anything he just walked over and started picking it up nice right and in unison everybody else that was there did the same thing yeah and to me i said you know what that is a truly great leader mm. right because a traditional leader would have pointed to one of their staff yep. normally the most junior and said you pick up that rubbish mm. right and he didn't do that And I think this is what great leaders do. They have this quality where people admire them and respect them so much that they will walk over a cut glass for them. And quite often it's because of what they do, not so much what they say. Yeah, yeah. And and even just going back to that lady about who was talking about the great leader, she said one thing this leader did was they kind of did this assessment at every meeting. She'd have big meetings and and basically, how are you going? Anyone below a two got, got time with her? Um, and right. because she wanted to support people who were struggling and she, it, it, that kind yeah. of stuff, you know, just really empowered that, oh, she's on my side, which is such an important part. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. Again, most meetings are a complete waste of time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, having a quick check in, where's your head right now? Yeah. Right. And even with the leader doing that with their direct, where's your head right now? Yeah. Right. It's going to be one of three levels. It's fired up. You know, it's barely head above water or I'm drowning. Yeah. Just a quick check in. Just so we know where everybody's at before you jump into me, can actually completely change the tone of the entire experience. Yeah, I always love asking experts, where's the area that you struggle in with this? Good question. I would probably say for me, it's about saying no, (laughs) right? Which is a common one. And and again, I think there's that saying, you know, if you want something done, find a busy person. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because they're all find a way to get it done. And that's what happens. Yeah. You know, somebody will say, oh, can you do this? And I, and I look at it, I'm going, well, I can probably do it, but i got to stretch it. i got to get creative to find a way to make it happen. Mm. Um, so for me, I think that's what it is. It's going, all right, sometimes saying no to some things that will stretch me too thin. Yeah, okay, great. All right? And I think that's a common thing for a lot of leaders. They, yeah. they just don't want to let their team down. Um, so it, where sometimes it's just say, sorry, I can't do that. Not in that time frame you need. I could do it in two weeks, but not in the time frame that you need. Yeah, well, that's the thing about leadership, isn't it? It's ultimately the growth of you, isn't it? You know, you have to confront yourself, you know, and and that's the power of it, isn't it? 
you know, you can have big impact once you kind of confront and grow yourself. Hey, um, if people want to follow you if you want to get your book and stuff like that, give us give us the plug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the book is called Leadership Hacks, Clever Strategies to Boost Your Impact and Results. It's full of practical uh, chapters. And in fact, every chapter has a hack. So if you want to fast track it, you can just go to the back of the chap- chapter and it gives you the hack. Yeah. And there's really three sections I talk about. The first one's individual hacks. So what can you do individually with yourself? The second one is one-on-one hacks. So if you're working one-on-one with one of your staff or direct reports. And then the final section of the book is about team hacks. Yeah. How do you kind of hack and mobilize a group of people? But you can find out more from my website, www.scottstein.com. And he also does workshops and mentoring. He does it all, guys. He's a, he's a busy man, as, as we've already established. And, and I think as we talked about at the beginning of the interview, leadership is a skill we can develop, and Scott's book's a great place to start with that. So check it out. Leadership Hacks. Scott, thank you so much for your time today. No worries. It's great to be here. Thanks, Ben. Right, that's pretty much the main the interview of Scott Dunn and Dustin. Hopefully, you've got some good tips and theories. Um, got some good insight into, you know, as he talks about leadership hacks. And I'll put a link to his website and his book, Leadership Hacks, on my website, Bevan James Isles, under the show notes for today's show. So you can check that out at Bevan James Isles and ScottStein.com. Uh, outside of that, I'm, I am pretty excited actually. I've I've been contemplating for a while creating in my local region in Christchurch in New Zealand a development workshop and what this is it's a what is it it's basically a half of the session is going to be self kind of self-improvement and the second half is going to be fun exercise in a team environment and the whole idea is that each week you'll come along you'll do some self-improvement it will help you be better for the next week and then at the end of the session you have a fun workout which is engaging community building emotionally in charging and, and so on and caters to all levels and I've had this idea for a while and I did a trial earlier on this year and it was a real success and um, I had to shift some things around in my calendar and it was taking longer than I thought but recently it looks like those shifts have appeared and so now I have this opportunity to create a product that I think is going to be pretty cool so I'm really looking forward to to moving forward with this and it'll probably be a product I talk to you a lot about as I kind of start and develop it because I want to learn those lessons and you know, how do you create a development workshop that goes on for a long time? So it's not just the kind of a one-off thing where people get charged, but, you know, because I don't know if you've ever been to a conference, and often you go to a conference and you come back very inspired, but then three months later, have you actually changed much? And so while inspiration can be a little charge of energy, it doesn't often lead to change. And so in creating this product, what I want to do is create a product which kind of weekly gets you to self-assess, find some move points, have some accountability, and to do it in an environment which really encourages and supports that, so that if we think three months in the future, you are going to be that higher version of yourself. So pretty excited about it. It's very much just going to be a local thing. It's not going to be an internet thing, so it's only for people in Christchurch. But um, yeah, I just sort of share it for you, and I probably will share the experience as I move through it and develop it as I go along, because I think there'll be some good stuff that maybe you know others out there could copy and paste into their communities as well. And maybe if it's a real success, that would be something I'd look to do, is to create into a product that can be duplicated, take it to other parts of New Zealand, and maybe even globally moving forward. I just fundamentally believe that we all want to grow and we all want health and fitness in our life. So kind of combining those two together could be a good opportunity to do something pretty powerful. So other than that, it's pretty much today's show done and dusted. If you want to become a patron of my show, just go to bevanjamesisles.com, click on the podcast or down the bottom of the front page where it says support me it'll take you through to patreon it supports me and what i'm doing and thank you to all those people who already are patrons it really means a lot 
And uh, yeah, keep rocking on. Check out Scott's book if you want to do Leadership Hacks. And if you do enjoy the show, please go on to any of your podcatchers like Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, any of those, and just give some reviews. You know, that's me out. I'll be back in two weeks from now on a, on a Bevan show. And I've got a topic uh, that I think is a good one. And then I'll get deep into that next time. So there we go. That's me for this time. I'll see you in two weeks' time in the next episode of Bevan James Isles. Keep being you.